Welcome to On The Mic With Mike. We don't always have these conversations with our loved ones, but we need to. The podcast that addresses controversial issues that affect us in the criminal justice system. Do you understand what we had to get to to carry a gun and defend ourselves? And even cultural challenges we face every day. People just love to make it about race. That's not the case. What causes you to be in a relationship that may lead to a potential domestic issue down the line? Resolve your unconscious bias and grow from an independent perspective based on facts and data. Why not use statistics in your analysis? And now your host. Do I seem like I'm on something or am I just losing it? Instructor Mike. the safety act so i'm reacting to a uh post 
that I saw, an actual video that I saw uh, regarding the Safety Act. Okay. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. So, yeah, it's not my usual. I usually don't go live uh, on Saturday, but uh, given that I am doing that, what's going on, James? How are you? How are you? Hope all is well. Uh, we are going to react <clears throat> to the issues and some of the some of the things that I saw in the Safety Act. Um, for those of you all who don't understand what the Safety Act is, it is the Illinois. Uh, let me. I, I'm on my hand up for a minute. Sorry about that. Uh, it is the where are you at? Yeah, the Illinois Safety Accountability Fairness and Equity Today. Act. Uh, it's going to be it, some of the provisions of that act have test taken effect already, and I've actually done briefings uh, and uh, lives on that act before. But there is a video. I don't want to say that's surfacing. I'll just say more so along the lines of a video that I happened upon, where uh, Attorney Brian Drew, out of Illinois is talking about some of the things relative to the safety act. And so I just felt the desire, I don't want to say need, but I just felt the desire to actually address uh, some of those things. Okay. Uh, here we go. And we'll actually watch it and then I'll react to it. And then, you know, please feel free to comment. I know it's Saturday, so some people aren't going to even watch this. They have other things to do, which I'm totally fine. It's also going to be on my podcast too, On the Mic with Mike. On the mic with Mike. So if you don't have time to watch it, that is totally fine. You can definitely listen uh, in on the podcast. It is everywhere. Podcasts are available and are streaming. Okay. Uh, but without further delay and with respect for your time this Saturday, let's go ahead and get to it. Hey, James, what's going on? Uh, I'm going to react to some of the comments now. I have my, my stuff is set up a little bit differently now. So if you see me turning my head, that's because I'm looking at the computer right here instead of having a computer in front of me. And I do have it in front of me, too. But, uh, yeah, my main computer is actually here. Got some lighting and some other things uh, done, as you can pretty much tell. Uh, so uh, good morning. Good morning. You said I tried to view your recap of the Brooks trial. YouTube throttled your feed and I couldn't watch. <sighs> I don't even know what that. Yeah. I mean, all I can do is put the information out. But what you can do is. Iron Hawk, you can go to my podcast, which is on the mic with Mike, on the mic with Mike. Uh, you can find an Apple podcast, uh, stuff like that. And you'll be able to watch it or listen to it there because I'm going to take this. What I do is I take these episodes and I download them uh, onto uh, my podcast. So that way you're not missing anything. You know, some people can't watch. Some people can only listen. All right. So let's go on ahead and dive into it. YouTube must be maybe I have issues on YouTube too. Yeah. Cause YouTube, normally the numbers are higher and I'm watching the numbers too, but all I can do is put the information out. That's all I can do. Free speech is under attack. Yeah. Yeah. Free speech is under attack unless you bite into the narratives of those who are in control of the projection of messages and speech free speech is under attack. And so there are those of you who don't feel that it's under attack because, you know, you bite into whatever the narratives are. And that's totally fine. 
I'm not for or against your position in terms of you having speech, right? I am for you having speech. Now, some speech could cause certain things. Some speech can cause other things. I get it. But it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Uh, what's going on, Kenya? How are you? Perspective, you look nice. I'm grateful <laughs> for you sharing on this topic. Yes, and that's why I do it. That's why I do it for those who are actually interested uh, in the information. So after uh, we listen to Brian, okay, uh, I'm going to go on ahead and do, again, a little presentation of what I talked about before, because I think there is, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a conservative, I'm not a liberal, right? I'm an independent. My stance on issues depends on what the issue is. Sometimes it could be a conservative stance. Sometimes it could be a liberal stance. It just depends on what the issue is. If I were so fortunate to be a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States, I would probably be known as a swing justice. It just depends on the issue, right? Um, yeah, so I'm glad you all are doing good. Uh, and I figured I just wanted to kind of dress up for this. And you might see more of this. You, know, you might see more of this dressing up thing. But here, let's go ahead and go dive right into it. Yeah, you can't say much without uh, someone feeling attacked, yet they feel attacked because they generalize everything to apply to them. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Uh, and that's a sad state of affairs that we are in, uh, you know, where that is the case. Let's go ahead and dive right on into it. Uh, what, a, what a moment to put his face up there. So we are, again, reacting to attorney Brian Drew. Uh, he's an Illinois licensed attorney. And uh, he said some things that I didn't necessarily agree with. Uh, said some things that I did agree with uh, and even showed his misunderstanding of certain things. So without delay, let's go ahead and dive into it. I'm Brian Drew, and I think I've done something that not many people in the state of Illinois have done, and that is I read all 764 pages of the Illinois Safety Act. I did too, Brian. Now, some of you might say you need to get better hobbies, but I practice law. I practiced for 23 years, and I was concerned about it. So what I'm going to talk to you about today are some of my top concerns with the Safety Act. And let me tell you, if I went into all of the concerns, we'd be here for about three or four days continuously, it would be a longer video than anyone's going to watch. So what I'm going to talk about are just some of the top three really things that concern me the most. And basically, I would say the first one is the portion of law that I think the originators of the law have been pushing as the greatest thing about. And I heard the governor talk about it and other people, and they said, well, people accused of murder cannot be released from jail. And that's been if the you could take a point that currently in Illinois, you could buy if you could take a moment and hit the like button, if you subscribe already, that's awesome. If not, please consider doing so. But if you could just take a moment and hit that like button, that would be outstanding for the algorithm, right? All right, let's go on ahead and dive in. And I'm going to back it up just a little bit, just a little bit, and then we'll go on ahead. Originators of the law have been pushing as the greatest thing about it. And I heard the governor talk about it and other people, and they said, well, people accused of murder cannot be released from jail. And that's been the big talking point that currently in Illinois, you could buy your way out of jail with a bond. Now let's break that down. In reality, anyone charged with murder, their bond is usually 
way north of a million dollars, which means you'd have to come up with between $100,000 and a million dollars to get out of jail. I don't know many people that can do that. Most people. Actually, so let me provide some uh, perspective on this. If you have the opportunity, I invite you to go to YouTube and go to Leighton or Cook County, uh, Leighton or Leighton Room 100. The uh, criminal court building is named after uh, Justice. I believe he was a Cook County uh, judge and then he became a Illinois Supreme Court or appellate court justice. And then he became a uh, federal judge, George C. Leighton. Uh, and that's what the criminal courts building at 2650 South California is named after is uh, Judge Lee or Justice Lee. But I invite you to go to YouTube, courtroom 100, and click on that, right? Nothing to watch, but you're just listening. And the purpose of me inviting you to that is simply this. What Brian is saying is partly true and not partly true and not true at all as it relates to uh, murderers being just released. Under the provisions of Chapter 725, Illinois Compiled Statutes Act 5, Section 110-4, or even 110-6.1, which is discretionary no bail, under the bail statute. Now, I have been listening to bond court for well over a year, maybe a year and a half. I'm a former police officer in Illinois, okay, among the other credentials that I have, you know, uh, in my professional CV. I have not, especially as of recent, seen any of the judges in the pretrial division at 26 in California. I can't speak to what they do in the suburban courts, right? I mean, I can partly, but I have not seen a judge at 26 in California release anybody accused of murder on a monetary bond. And what you will hear is the Cook County State's Assistant State's Attorney who's uh, appearing before the court and proffering that case state that under the conditions of 725 ILCS 5 Section 110-4, that as a consequence of that conviction for first-degree murder, given that it would likely be, not it will be, but it will likely be, life imprisonment without the possibility of parole that that by that very likelihood would make it a mandatory no bail. And after the assistant state's attorney, well, after pretrial services gives their pretrial assessment, right? It's a pretrial risk assessment, right? Then the state would state the issues or what evidence they have by way of proffer to the judge then the defense attorney would provide mitigation and a response to the state's petition of mandatory no bail, right? At which point in time, the judge makes his or her finding of mandatory no bail. If the facts and circumstances as proffered to the court meet the conditions of section 110-4. And so to be an Illinois licensed attorney, who may or may not practice in the county. See, that's one thing that people don't understand about 
attorneys and the law and practice. And why would you? It's not something you need to know unless you have use for it, right? But Will County attorneys may practice just a tad bit different than Cook County, than DuPage County, than Lake County. They all have their, and see, one of the one of the mistakes that you can make is if you got a case in Will County, you bring a Cook County attorney to Will County. Just because you're licensed to practice law in the state of Illinois, right? You could practice before that court, but you don't understand the operations of the way that court proceeds unless you constantly practice in different counties, right? So he may not even be a practicing attorney in Cook County. He may be a DuPage County. He may be a Will County. He may be a Lake County. He may be a Johnson County, LaSalle County, Sangamon County. He could be an attorney in any of these other counties and don't even understand how Cook County even rolls. But they love using Chicago as the, oh, it's so violent. If you live in Chicago and you move about Chicago, <laughs> here's some funny, here's some funny stuff. I said I was gonna stop cursing. Here's some funny stuff. White people move about Chicago like there is no crime. <laughs> oh, oh my God. White people move about Chicago and Cook County like there is no crime. You will see them walking in the hood. You'll see them walking in different places. You'll see them walking downtown. You'll see them walking all over the place as if there is no crime and nothing to fear. But then they'll use Chicago as a talking punchline to make people fear. Don't get me wrong. Crime is a real thing, right? But there's a difference being a theorist and a practitioner. Does that make sense? I mean, call me out. If you're a theorist, all you got is theories. But if you're a practitioner who analyzes those theories and then puts them to their proof, you'll find uh, for you guys to be afraid, you guys don't act like you're afraid. Right? Let's continue. This is this is funny. This is very funny. And by the way, there are some parts in this bill that are good. But at some point in time, I mean, and don't get me wrong. Hold on. Let, let's let's put on the record. Right. I was just at St. Sabina for the uh, Democratic presentation to the parishioners and those interested of the Safety Act. They were lying their butts off, too. <laughs> there were some parts that was correct and there were some parts that were absolute fibs. And so we're going to go on ahead and talk about that. OK, let's continue. Will accused of murder sit in jail until their trial. That's a fact under current law in Illinois. Under the new law, I think you're going to find out that it's a little more shocking than you think, because on its on the face of it, the way people have described it, everyone accused of murder must be detained and they're detained until their trial. That's not necessarily true. What it says is, is that everyone accused of murder or anyone accused of a crime where they must be detained until their trial. Now the prosecutor has 90 days to try them. And if you do not try them within 90 days, guess what happens? They cannot be denied release. That is not true. So that is not true. <laughs> that is not true. That is not true. And <laughs> it's not enough for me to say that is not true. Let me take you directly. <laughs> I am so sorry. I do not like it. When, when people just laugh for no reason. That is not true. But don't take my word for it, because after all, this guy is an attorney, and he's supposed to be 
the person telling the truth and he's about, oh, Mike, you're not an attorney. Well, why should we believe you? You're just a, a former cop who blah, 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 blah. I bet it up. So we're going to go directly to the statute, which is where <laughs> I love it. Here we go. All right. So I'm going to put it on a screen because I want you all to see it. Stop sharing this. Let me get here. Sorry. I do have to run my own program. So when I run my own program, it'll take me a little bit to get to the screen where I need to share it. But I guarantee you, if you hold out, it will be beneficial. Do me a favor. Take a chance and like, like, like. Let me make sure I got the right Illinois General Assembly one up. Not that one. Not that one. Matter of fact, let me take this one off so that way it's not even there. Yeah. All right. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Bam. Here we go. This is the statute. And I'm going to blow it up and try to center it so that you all can see it. Right. Uh, let's make sure it's on the screen where it needs to be. Good. There we go. Read it for yourselves, homie. Here we go. This is Chapter 725, Illinois Compiled Statutes Act 5, which is the Illinois Code of Criminal Procedure. Okay. Section 103-5, speedy trial. Every person in custody in this state for an alleged offense shall be tried by the court having jurisdiction within, what's that say? 120 days. Right? 120 days from the date he or she was taken into custody unless the delay is occasioned by the defendant by an examination for fitness ordered pursuant to section 104-14 of this act by a fitness hearing by an adjudication of unfitness to stand trial by a continuance allowed pursuant to section 114-4 of this act after a court determination of the defendant's physical incapacity for trial or by inter interlocutory appeal. Sorry, you know you've heard that statement said by Daryl Brooks quite often. Uh, delay shall be considered to be agreed to by the defendant unless he or she objects to the delay by making a written demand for trial or an oral demand for trial on the record. So if you've ever listened to bond court or you've ever listened to court and there is a DDT, as in D as in defendant, D as in demand, T as in for trial, right? Or, all right, defendant demands trial. That is the start of the clock. And whenever there is a continuance, right, motion state or motion defendant, right, that pushes it out just a little bit more, right? So it's not 90 days. It's not 90 days. And the problem is, is that we see people, we hear them, we see their titles, and what they say is automatically true. And as you can see, unlike attorney uh, Drew, I'm putting a statute on here. There's too much technology out here to sit here and just say, hey, I'm a lawyer, believe me. And by the way, I am not a lawyer. I am not a licensed attorney, and this is not legal advice, okay? But it's too easy to sit there and say something is instead of just showing the proof, right? There's not 90 days. It is never... I, Correct me if I'm wrong. If I am wrong, correct me. And I will make a retraction and I will state what it is because maybe I'm misinterpreting something and I'm human. It's possible. But last time I read the statute and I too have read all 764 pages of the bill. And all you have to do is just press control F or command F and just type in 90 days. And every time I did that, there are things within several bills that say 90 days, but it's not as though they're automatically released. Right. Come on, man. It's not it's not hard at all. It is not hard at all, okay? 
Let's get back to this video. Stop this share. What are your thoughts about that? All right. Got to get back over to him. Hope y'all are having a great day. Great day. Attorney Drew, what say you? How does this shake out? So somehow the prosecutors and law enforcement who are already understaffed and overworked have to figure out how to get a murder case ready for trial within 90 days, which means the only state police lab, which regularly takes between three and six months to get back DNA evidence from them. Now, if they can't get it back to the prosecution, get it in the hands of the defense attorney and ready for this case to be tried within 90 days, you shall release it. That's what the law says. I'm not making this up. It's like, So if you're not making it up, cite it. If you're not making it up, cite it, right? Going back to that statute, right? Every person in custody for an alleged offense shall be tried by the court having jurisdiction uh, within 120 days, right? Unless the delay is occasioned by the defendant by an examination of fitness, right? By a continuance allowed pursuant to section 114-4. So let's go there. By a continuance allowed pursuant to section 114-4. Let us go there. Let us go there. It's easy to state what something is. It's just as even easier to prove it. So let's do that. And it's not hard for you to do. What I am actually doing is going to ILGA.gov, okay? The Code of Criminal Procedure of 1963, Section 114, Pretrial Motions, right? Section 114-4. Scroll down, fool. Motion for continuance. Let's share this screen, homie. So I want you all to see this. Good, here we go. Section 114-4, motion for continuance. The defendant or the state may move for continuance. If the motion is made, more than 30 days after arraignment, the court shall require that it be in writing and supported by an affidavit. A written motion for continuance made by defendant more than 30 days shall be granted when blah, 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 blah. A written motion for continuance made by the state, because that's what we're talking about, the state, not the defense, right? More than 30 days after arraignment may be granted when the prosecutor assigned to the case is ill or has died or has held a trial for another cause. A material witness is unavailable and the prosecution will be prejudiced by the absence of his testimony. However, this shall not be a ground for continuance if the defendant will stipulate that the testimony of the witness would be as alleged. In other words, they stipulate to whatever the, the uh, witness will say occurred, so it's not it's not disagreed upon, right? Um, Pre-trial publicity. Uh, they may, upon written motion of either party, upon the court's own motion, order continuance for grounds not stated in subsection B or C. And usually when it's the issue regarding evidence, evidence, right? 
if it's an issue regarding evidence, the court usually allows those continuances to go because there is a backlog that has nothing to do with the state. So I don't, I mean, the problem that I see with this is when you have defense attorneys or people who don't like the bill, and don't get me wrong, there's parts of the bill I don't like, parts of the bill I do, but when they say throw a whole thing away because of what already takes place today, do you know how long it takes for evidence to get back? Do you know how many times there are cases that are literally charged where there's very little evidence, right? There's just enough evidence to be able to uh, make the bond proffer, right? Just enough evidence for probable cause to detain, right? To be bound over for trial or assigned to that felony judge. But then they are working the case by way of continuances up until it's time to actually try that case. So don't make it seem as though this is going to be something that doesn't already happen now. Because it already happens now. It's not, not anything new. Okay. Let's get back to Brian. See what else he's saying. Definitely wanted. That goes with everything. In addition to that, when you talk about pretrial release, there is a phrase that no one really knows what it means. I'm a lawyer, practice law for 23 years, and I understand that prior to your trial, you can either be released or you're held out on bond. Now we're just talking about pretrial release. And the new law says that every person accused of a crime is presumed to be eligible for pretrial release. What that really means is they can't hold you in jail to your trial. They've got to turn you loose. You sue, they make you post some money. Now they say, well, we're not going to make you post anything. You're just going to be out. So, but my biggest concern isn't necessarily that. One of the biggest concerns is two things. One, what can happen at these detention hearings? So if an individual is accused of sexually assaulting a child, the defendant can ask at the pretrial hearing for the victim to be brought in now, it's in the judge's discretion if the judge brings the victim or not. But one of the factors in whether or not you can be detained is whether or not you committed the crime. So what we're going to have are little mini trials in front of a judge to determine, well, did they do it or did they not? And victims can be brought in. So I do understand it from the perspective of a victim who is truly a victim. But what about a person who's been falsely accused of a crime? Does this make sense? I'm looking at the comments. Does, it, does this make sense? What about a person who's been falsely accused of that crime? If that person has been falsely accused of a crime, would this be to their benefit before it wasn't so clear in the statute? Now, so I'm curious, is Mr. Drew a prosecutor or is attorney Drew a defense attorney? I'm going to put it to you. 
you are the person that he is talking about. You are that person. Okay? You're on, you're, you're, you're being arrested and you're appearing before a judge, whomever. Would you like for this defense attorney, if he is in fact a defense attorney, would you like for him to represent you with that mindset? With that mindset, if he is a defense attorney, he finds a problem with you having the immediate right to be able to face your accuser because there are several assumptions, or we might say presumptions, but there are several assumptions that this type of belief makes. It makes the assumption that the victim, alleged victim, is actually telling the truth. It makes that assumption. And I think there is no finer time, no finer time for me to discuss this than to use this moment, sorry, to use this moment than to talk about red flag misuse prevention. I got to talk about it because this is this is the most perfect point to even introduce uh, this. You said he's a prosecutor or at least was. The courts already presume you are guilty until proven innocent. Actually, the presumption is innocent until proven guilty, but I definitely know where you're coming from. You said, I'm dressed like a newscaster. <laughs> you said he sounds like he would make a backdoor deal with the state that's not in my favor. You said, I'm going to go back to what he said. What was that? Here we go. Let me go over this red flag law because I want you to understand what I'm even talking about. And sometimes people don't, they, don't, they may not understand it because of certain privileges, right? You may have the privilege. I don't want to go to RACE, so I'm not going there. That's not where I'm going to beeline first because some, sometimes people do that. But I want you to understand that when you live in certain areas, when you've been through certain things, there are certain privileges that come with whatever it is that you, you know, your lifestyle that causes you to believe some of the things you believe. So let's get to it. Red flag law misuse prevention. Okay. So in one second, I want you to assign a gender, man or woman to the following. Okay. Here we go. Provider. Police. Now, of course, I can't hear your responses. You can type them in, but you're not going to be able to type it as fast as I'm going to present it. But you do this exercise within yourself. Okay. Comforter. Friend. Teacher. Leader. Cook. Daycare owner. Homemaker. Gardener. Clothing designer. OBGYN. Fire truck. Garbage truck. Plumber. Electrician. Devil. 
made. Just hang with me. We're going there. Domestic violence victim. What was the first thing that came to mind? Don't lie to yourself. Secretary. Sexual harassment suspect. Politician. President. Gun. Emotions. Dominant. Weak. We're not talking about whether or not it's true. We're just talking about the first thing that came to your mind. Suspect. Drug dealer. Remember, we're assigning a gender, man or woman. Bank robber. Parent. Rape victim. Attitude. Strong. Combat. Athlete. Violent. Active shooter. Narcissist. Gaslighter. Victim. Abuser. Deadbeat. Beauty. Grooming. Do all see where I'm going there? Here's another part of this, too, because we're talking about what the lawyer said, right? See if I can pull it back. It is whether or not you committed the crime. So what we're going to have are a little mini trial in front of a judge to determine, well, did they do it or did they not? And victims can be brought in. Some judges will say, I'm not bringing a victim in. What about the judges who do? That's a frightening situation for someone who accuses someone else of a crime or is the victim of a horrific crime. So when you're talking about that, I had to play that again so that you can understand where we're at when we're talking about these things, because what do you think is going to be said in the bond proffer? These labels, right? A person, the paperwork gets to the courthouse before you do. People will read the reports and form opinions before they ever hear from you, before they ever hear from your defense counsel. Here is another thing to consider. Who is believed without proof first? Remember, there's a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Remember, the state has the burden of proof at trial to prove you guilty beyond reasonable doubt. But at the bail hearing, it's only probable cause. Probable cause to detain pursuant to Gerstein versus Pugh, right? That's the United States Supreme Court case. There must be a probable cause hearing to determine whether or not there is probable cause to detain you. Then there's a preliminary hearing pursuant to Gerstein, right? Who is believed without proof first? Let's go to it. Here we go. Man versus woman. Who's believed first? Boy or girl? Who's believed? And I want you to think about this question as though you are a grand juror or a juror in a trial and see if you as the defendant can overcome the question, why would they lie? Why would they lie? Adult versus child. White, black, Hispanic, Asian. If you look at the race of the defendant, the race of the alleged victim, and vice versa. Unarmed versus armed. 
rich versus poor, young versus old, tall, skinny, fat, short, frail, someone of the LGBTQ community versus someone who may be straight. And then you can do a combination of any of these factors, right? Here we go. Police versus citizen. Beautiful versus ugly. That is a thing. Darker versus lighter. Alcoholic versus drug user. No criminal background versus someone with a criminal background. Who is believed without proof first? A person arrested versus an alleged victim. A corporate CEO versus a small business CEO. Suit and tie versus baggy pants. Summer dress versus club dress. Successful person versus a person who has had a bunch of failures. A lawyer versus a person who's convicted of a crime. A person with glasses or without Holding a Bible versus holding a math book. Straight A student versus college dropout or high school dropout or even grammar school dropout, right? A serial killer versus a combat war veteran. State's attorney versus a small business CEO. Hoodie versus neighborhood watchman. Homeless versus homeowner. You all get what I'm saying now? Let me know in the comments. Sound off in the comments if you're, if you're seeing where I'm going with this, right? If you are the defendant... You said, so you're bringing implicit bias. What is the point here? Well, what do you think the point is? A hot mess? What do you think the point is? Defendant, a hot mess? You are on trial. Not even on trial yet. We haven't gotten there yet. We're at the bond court hearing. You've just been arrested. You were in the interrogation room. Change the lighting here. See if it's going to do it. Nope. I tried it. You were just in the interrogation room. They had talked to you. You waved Miranda. They talked to you. Talk, 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 talk. And now that, which you shouldn't have done. And now they're charging you. But throughout this conversation, you were stating, look. I've maintained my innocence this entire time. I told you I didn't do it. They don't believe you. Because you're a man. And the defendant or the, uh, the alleged victim is a woman. A woman who allegedly has a mental disease or defect. Let's sweeten the pot here. Oh, by the way, she's messing a limb. You see what I'm saying? You see, it's like with every little thing that we can add on to that. Oh, and by the way, she was in the DCFS system, so she was a ward of the state when she was a minor. You didn't know that, but it's, it's there. It's made a part of the record because you should have known. You should have asked those questions. You hear where I'm going? So would it be to your benefit to be able to have a little mini trial, as this attorney Brian Drew says, as it's a bad thing? Would it be to your benefit to have a little mini trial? What if your defense counsel was able to put the state 
slightly to their proof. It wouldn't be a full-blown trial, but it would be where you can bring the alleged victim into court and ask her certain questions, ask him certain questions, and it be on the record. So that way you might be able to use that as impeachable evidence down the road. Come on now. See, that's, see, that's what I'm talking about. Fortunately, we live in a society where most people aren't, most people who serve in law enforcement, we'd like to believe, has never been arrested, has never done anything that would cause them to be a defendant. Oh, but the tide is changing because now more cops are getting locked up. Now more public officials are getting locked up. You see what I'm saying? And so if you've never been in that position where you've been falsely accused of something and then had to lose everything to then have to defend yourself against those charges where every day you, it seems like the punishment will never end. You just don't understand it. And so we talk about people's implicit bias, as you brought up. And then here's the part that gets me too, because we got more to cover on this. Here's the part that gets me too. People who commit perjury, who are found to have been lying against the defendant, the state prosecutors don't prosecute them for perjury. So what motivation, what motivation do you give alleged victims? We're not talking about actual victims. What motivation do you give alleged victims, people who aren't even victims at all? What motivation do you give them not to bring a frivolous case to the police, not to bring a frivolous case before the state's attorney, before victims' advocates. You don't give them any motivation. So here's what I see as a method of relief for an alleged defendant that they can use to their advantage. What's up, my life in the shaft? Shouts out to you. Let me know if you want me to drop the link so you can come up. You said that was what was missing from the system. Absolutely. We're supposed to be able to face our accusers in court, but I rarely see that happen for us. Absolutely. That's my point. That's my point. <laughs> Tarrant Thomas said, I'd rather represent myself than deal with him. Absolutely. Right? Let's continue. More on this red flag stuff. Mm, that's a whole nother uh, conversation right there, too. Who has more political capital in a blue state? What do I mean when I say political capital? I'm going to go there. I was going to skip this and get back to Brian. I'm going to get back to Brian in a minute, Attorney Drew. But I got to capitalize on this because this is Illinois and the Safety Act is happening in Illinois. What do I mean when I say political capital? If you live in certain communities, you probably heard me say this before. Society allows things, right? Culture approves things. 
family teaches things and you will execute the thing that you were taught that came from what was approved and came from what was allowed. Does that make sense? Here we go. I'll get to you, Lenny. I'll get to your question in a minute. Society allows it. Typically, society doesn't dictate a lot of things as it relates to your personal life, right? Some things they do, most things they just leave it to culture to approve and then the family teaches it and you execute it, right? So when you look at political capital, political capital as I see it is defined as, I'm gonna keep it to the black community. We can extend it past that, but I'm gonna keep it to the community that I live, work, you know, have had experiences in. As it relates to the heads of household, men like to think they're in charge, but in terms of politics, Men, eyeballs on me right now. You are not the heads of household. Just because you sling pipe and can fix leaks doesn't mean the government sees it that way. Okay? You are not the heads of household. Women are the heads of household by way of politics. The reason. They vote more than men. They consume more government resources. They make more requests that make politicians relevant. So they are able to have a relationship with politicians. They report crimes more. They call the police more, making the police relevant. Mm -hmm. So when you look at things from a family court perspective and from a criminal court perspective, women have more political capital than men. They file on taxes, heads of household more, right? We can get into, well, why do you think that is? The whole why is a whole nother argument. We're talking about what it is. They have more political capital. So they have an interest in protecting their assets. I know that's too much. I know it's too much. You can get mad all you want, right? But it is what it is. It is what it is. They have more political capital. We're not talking about the morality of it. We're talking about the legality of it, right? More political capital. When you look at it, boys versus girls, right? Well, children, as it relates to political capital, right? They both have equal, unless there's an allegation. If there's an allegation that girl has more political capital than that boy because the girl is soon to be a woman, right? Here we go. Adult versus child. Well, it depends on the circumstance, right? But if you combine certain factors, adult, woman, child, girl, you see where I'm going? Political capital. Here we go. White, black, Hispanic, Asian. I'm going to go there. I'm controversial enough to do it, right? It depends on the issue, right? When you're talking about during the riots that happened and that I can't see your comments, I'm gonna to get to your comments shortly, so just indulge me or bear with me shortly. But when you looked at the riots that were happening and the property damage and the, you know, George Floyd and Laquan McDonald and things like that, and the fact that these protests were destroying property and threatening property damage and things like that. Guess who ended up getting more political cap? Black folks got more political capital because we don't want you to tear up our stuff. And then you started to see Black Lives Matter 
signs and windows where it may not have mattered before, but now it does, or we really don't have an issue with you. We just don't want you to destroy our stuff. So let me put something in there that is like the, the blood of the lamb on the lentil during Passover so that the angel of death could pass us by. Whether we believed or not, doesn't matter. Got the notice, put the blood on there, angel of death passes by, right? Look at some of your comments. Here we go. And continuing, right? Now, let's say in Chicago, in Chicago, Hispanics are the majority minority. This is what they've said in open forum in the city of Chicago during one of the council meetings. They are the majority minority. So guess who has more political capital? Hispanics in Chicago. It just depends on where you are. That's why you need to be astute to the politics in your area so you can understand the cards that are on the table, not how you feel about it, but the cards that are on the table so that you can properly navigate, right? Properly navigate. Asians definitely got more political capital. Definitely got more lower divorce rates, higher marriage rates, higher success. It definitely got more political capital. Okay. I'm just, it just depends. Here we go. Unarmed versus armed. So let's not lose sight of why we're even saying this because we're bringing it back around to the reason a little mini trial at the bond court phase makes sense. Here we go. Unarmed versus armed. If you're armed, you're automatically seen as violent. If you're unarmed, you're automatically seen as a person who's not capable of violence. Rich versus poor. Don't let you be a poor person having to legally defend yourself against someone who has money and access to uh, relationships and resources. You want a mini trial? Young versus old. Old person who could be the, you know, misogynist, misandrist racist, or just a person that just doesn't like you just because they're having a bad day. And this old person who may have the skill and ability to still be able to do some young folk things, all of a sudden does something to you and you're a young person and you defend yourself. And then in defending yourself, is this old person going to automatically be seen as someone who has more political capital? Of course. Why? Old people vote more than young people. And don't let it be an old woman. Oh, you're definitely done. Why would you put your hands on that? Never mind the fact that this thing happened, <clears throat> but there was no camera around to be able to show proof. Tall, skinny, fat, short, those come with labels too. Person of the LGBT community, uh, Q community versus your straight self. And then it'd be alleged that what you did was a hate crime because that community has the power, because they have relationships and they have resources and they stick together versus yourself being straight up the black community that doesn't stick together, doesn't have more political capital. You see, police versus citizen. Sometimes police gets the burden, you know, the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes the citizen gets the benefit of the doubt because, because of these previous labels and what community they may belong to. <clears throat> Beautiful versus ugly. Trust me, that's a thing. Right. 
lighter versus darker, alcoholic versus drug user, no criminal background versus a person with a criminal background coming in to file a complaint or file a charge. Somebody arrested versus somebody who's the alleged victim. You get it. You get it. You get it. You could just see it. You could just see it. And you, if, you, if you're not aware of the political capital that these people have, you've been asleep. You have been asleep, right? So don't, don't kick it down entirely to state that having a little mini trial is a bad thing. Let's put Brian back on and we'll continue. He said, our people don't understand this. This is a whole nother level. I'm just, hey, and that's all I'm doing is putting the information out there, right? See, if you can F the mind, you own the body. I'm trying not to curse and I'm doing a good job, right? If you can screw the mind or screw with the mind, you own the body. If we can keep you in your emotions, that's a different part of the brain called the amygdala that controls fight, flight, freeze, and emotions. Not the prefrontal cortex that houses logic and the ability to be able to see beyond what's in front of you. Some people only see the trees. Other people see the forest. Mentally enslaved. You get it. You get it. Okay. Let's get back to what Brian is saying here. In addition to that, you have to have a specific identifiable victim, which means in the city of Chicago, they've had over 1,200. Didn't I tell y'all they love to use the city of Chicago? Didn't I tell y'all that? They love to use the city of Chicago. They may have a reason to, but they love to use Chicago. Let's continue. Carjackings in the last year, which is twice as many as New York and LA combined. Currently in Illinois, those people aren't being detained. Under the new law, the prosecutor would have to come up with a specifically identifiable victim. They weren't there to rob you personally. They were there to just take your car. The argument by every defense attorney who walks in that courtroom is gonna be, name the person who is in danger because of what my client did. And it's no longer good enough to say, uh, well, the general public's in danger because this person is walking out on the Dan Ryan Expressway, like I saw the other day, reached in their pocket for a gun and made a person get out of their car in traffic and stole their car. Who's the identifiable person? That person's not. The person who stole the car, the criminal defendant, doesn't even know who the driver of the car is. That's a bad argument. That's a horrible argument. And here's the reason why I say that's a horrible argument right now. What do I know? Again, not an attorney, but that if that's your argument, I would never hire you as an attorney. That's a bad argument. As long as this person has not been permanently deleted, in other words, killed, right? And that person has survived. They are the best witness who can come into court and can testify as to what happened there. The argument that he is making as, is, is as if the person whose car was stolen was killed. And if in fact, that person whose car was stolen was killed, that would be a murder charge. 
for which mandatory no bail applies. So what are we talking here? The person toward whom the crime was committed is the best witness. And if anything, having that person come to the bond hearing to testify and identify themselves as being the person who was egregiously harmed by the defendant would not even be in the interest of defense counsel and wouldn't even be in the best interest of the defendant. So what are we talking here? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. That could be. There's another point he said I want to go back on it. Here we go. Like I saw the other day, reached in their pocket for a minute. Under the new law, the prosecutor would have to come up with a specifically identifiable victim. They weren't there to rob you personally. So what you're saying is there has to be a personal connection to this? They weren't there to rob you personally? They just wanted the car? No, they, they were there to rob you in your person and take from you the person towards whom this crime was directed. So you are that specific identifiable person. What is he talking here? They were there to just take your car. The argument by every defense attorney who walks in that courtroom is going to be name the person who is in danger because of what my client did. And, it's no and, it, and, and if anything, it sounds like what he's trying to do, it sounds like he's trying to make an argument that would apply for a criminal trespass to motor vehicle, a uh, auto burglary, right, or an auto theft, whereby there is no actual person who was in the car at the time the car was stolen or at the time the person criminally trespassed into the car. But in his scenario, he was talking about a carjacking, at which point in time, there is someone in that vehicle, right? And it's called aggravated vehicular hijacking, right? There was somebody who was actually in that vehicle who was the recipient of the harm. Bad arguments. Longer good enough to say, uh, well, the general public's in danger because this person is walking out on the Dan Ryan Expressway, like I saw the other day, reached in their pocket for a gun and made a person get out of their car. That was crazy. And stole their car. That was crazy. Who's the identifiable person? The that per person's not. The yes, person he is. Stole the, car, the criminal defendant doesn't even know who the driver of the car is. He does not have to know who the driver of the car is for him to have, for the, for the person whose car was stolen to have said, that man did it. Why? Especially if he's we're talking about the, uh, the video where there was a witness there that was on the side of the road who was videoing this man on the expressway who just happened to pull in front of a car, pull out a gun, tell this person to get outside of the car. That person got outside of the car and then that per the person who was carjacking him took the car and drove off. They are definitely in the position to be able to state that man did it. I was in the car. I was on the expressway. I saw a person dressed in all black with a hood walk up and point a gun at me. I could not see anything more than his eyes, right? Because he was wearing a full face mask. So I don't know if it is him, you would have to have him put on that mask for me to be able to see 
when I can only identify what I can identify. But it happened to me. I got out of the car. I gave the car to him because he forced me to do it. So let me read your comment, Marvelous Marvin Fourth. What he's revealing is prosecutors, let me put it on the screen too. Yeah, what he's revealing is prosecutors regularly use the threat of future crimes as a reason to deny bail and these rubber stamp judges go for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, here's this. And so that's the problem that I was saying where he was talking about he had a problem with it previously being uh, uh, the, not a problem with, I don't want to say that, but where it used to be that you could say, well, this person is a danger to the general public. I typically have a problem with that argument too. In the context of a given situation, let's just say a murder, right? If you're talking about a person like a Jeffrey Dahmer or a person like a, uh, a serial killer, right? Those people may pose a danger to the general public. But let's look at this question. Is it the case that every person who has ever committed a, now I'm not saying they should be free to walk among society. I'm not saying that, right? But is it the case that, that in every murder, that every murderer poses a, a threat to everyone in the public. I'm talking about every, every murderer poses a threat to everyone in the public. Or is it within the context of that given case that this person posed a threat to this person or other specific person such as I'm mad at this one person and the family members, but I could care less about the rest of these people. I'm, they didn't do nothing. These persons did something. I'm just saying, let's, let's have that conversation. If we can't have that conversation and we're not going to have that conversation, then what's the, what's the purpose of having free speech in public discourse? Is it the case? We're not talking about active shooters. We're not talking about terrorists. We're not talking about serial killers. We're not talking about people who just randomly pick people for no reason. We're talking about certain folks who pose a real and specific danger to a real and specific person and or persons that can be identified. An argument can be made, right? You might even go with gang killings, right? But even that, you know, that's where we got history. I just think it's too broad a brush because if you'll indulge me in argument, I love philosophy. There is a theory called uh, the categorical imperative by Immanuel Kant. And it's words to the effect of act in a manner. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me put it on the screen because that's what I want to do. I want to put it on there. Mm-hmm. Not long. Not long at all. 
ethics. And I want to get the quote from him. I don't want to. There you go. There you go. Act only in a act only according to a maxim whereby you can at the same time will that it should become universal law. And I'm going to put that on here. Yeah, you get it, Kenya. <laughs> and of course, I didn't add the other quote, but you get it, right? Act only according to that maxim whereby you can at the same time will that it should become a universal law. So should we make it universal law? There's two parts to this question. That any person <clears throat> accused of murder, not whether or not they actually committed it, because that's what a trial is for. But any person accused of murder should automatically be deemed as dangerous to the entire public and, caveat, you in a self-defense situation, self-defense situation. You say you defended yourself, but it's not about what happened, it's about what you can actually prove. And yes, there was a ring camera on the door, but the ring camera wasn't working. And there were witnesses who were beholden to the alleged victim in this manner who testified as to the beef that you all had and the and you were being the aggressor, and you were this, and you were this. And so it's because of all this evidence that doesn't point you in the most favorable light that we are going to, because of the standard of proof that's required just to make an arrest, just to hold you over for trial pursuant to Gerstein versus Pugh, which is probable cause, we're going to charge you with the commission of first-degree murder. Because this beef that you guys had, and you're constantly arguing with this person, and you know, just oh my god, you're a narcissist. <laughs> we could just pile on the labels. Now, would you like for it to be willed as universal law that you are automatically deemed to be a danger to the entire public, not just the person that is the no alleged victim? And we're just talking about the entire public. So now you are just gonna be killing everybody. Would you like that to be willed as universal law? Or would you like to have had it where it's going to be, you know, what it should be, that it's a real specific identifiable person? You said it is typically treated that way except for police. Oh, hey, when you're right, you're right. When was the last time you saw a police not make bail? You got a point. And I, ooh, much to your point, Marvelous Marvin. They didn't have a problem with second degree murder being a bailable offense when Jason Van Dyke was set free on bail after being alleged to have shot and killed Laquan McDonald not one time, but 16 times. They didn't have a problem with bail then, but now they got a problem with bail now that it is what it's always been, a probationable offense, which is what makes it non-detainable. I just find that to be ironic. 
Does that make sense? I mean, uh, am I am I on to something here? Does that make sense? What what say you, Attorney Drew? Does that no you nothing to say? What day? Nothing to say. Laquan McDonald shouldn't have been shot one time, let alone sixteen. Shouldn't have a problem with the statute working for you then, as it would still work for you now after January first, twenty twenty three. So what I'm saying is. We got to be careful about what we choose to protest because it's something you could actually benefit from. I mean, I could be wrong. Who am I? Let me not waste up too much more of your Saturday so you can go out there and do great things, right? I got things to do too. Let's let Brian finish here because he got one more point and I'm definitely not rocking with that point. But mind you, we never get second degree charges, always first degree. So who is this law really going to benefit? Well, uh, I hear what you're saying, John Jones. I do hear what you're saying. But this law has both positive and negative things. It's, it's some bad stuff in this law, too, now. Some bad stuff in this law. Okay. I get what you're saying, though. Let's let Brian continue. Here we go. That person's going to be released. And I don't think there's any other way you can read this law other than that person's going to be released. You also have crimes of class B and class C misdemeanors, trespass to property, someone sitting on your porch, unless they have mental health issues or unless they've threatened you in some way, they cannot be detained. They can't be. They will be released with a notice that says, please come to court. And unless they're a danger to society or mentally ill, the way the law currently reads, the police officer won't even be able to remove them from your porch. And there's... That is not true. That is not true. That is totally not true. That is not true. And it's amazing how people who've never been to police can sit here and say what police officers can and cannot do. You know how many times we probably couldn't remove somebody before we did? That's not even the worst part of the bill. The worst part of the bill has a lot to do with the fact that now, and it's already in act right now in force right now as of july of 2021 right you can make an anonymous report against a police officer anyone can and that could cause a police officer to be removed from the streets placed on administrative duty while the case is being investigated that's the bad part of this law before it wasn't anonymous you used to have to have an affidavit swearing to the accuracy of that now they've removed that as a requirement. That's what's going to make officers not want to do anything. I mean, you probably haven't seen it in Chicago because in the statute, chapters uh, 50, Elmer Compound Statutes, Act 725, there is a provision that that enactment does not affect those currently under collective bargaining agreements where in the collective bargaining agreement, there is a right to know who your accusers are and that their statements must be true and accurate pursuant to an affidavit stating that the statement is such. But when those contracts come back open for negotiation, that clause in the contract will be extracted. It has to be extracted by law. So now anyone can make an anonymous complaint. Then you're going to start to see officers not do anything. Because now when you call them to your house and you call them to address your issues, 
not only do they have to worry about the bullet coming from the gun, they have to worry about the career bullet. They have to worry about the house payment, the mortgage. So every time they respond to a crime, they are not only putting their lives on the line, they're putting their ability to be able to feed their families on the line with every call they respond to. If I were still the police, I would only respond to calls of senior citizens and children and actually do something. The rest of you, I would get on scene. Oh, man, I give the kids a show. Oh, lights, siren, everything. But then when I get to your house, I'm watching. I'm watching and I'm coaching. I'm tell you to duck. I'm telling you lateral to the left, lateral to the right, duck, back up, create time, distance, cover, concealment. That's it. I'm not touching them. I'd rather get fired for not violating your rights than to get fired for attempting to help you solve your own problem. And then the family come down and anonymous, anonymously complaining at boy, no, they'll never get me for not responding. Trust me, I'm going. But when I get there, I'm not doing anything at all. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. So I called you here and you ain't going to do nothing? No, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing something. I'm giving you advice and counsel. I'm giving you advice and counsel. Well, this man's remote. This man is trespassing on my lawn. This man is doing this. Now, if you're an old person, I'll help. Thousand percent. I'm going down for that. I'll go down for that. If you're a child, oh, yeah, I'm going all out for you. All out for you. But everybody else, you on your own. And don't tell me I got to help you. The police don't have a duty to protect you. The United States Supreme Court said that. Warren versus District of Columbia, Town of Castle Rock versus Gonzalez. Need I say more? I'm not helping. No. But I will tell you this, though. Chapter 725, Illinois Compiled Statutes Act 5, Section 107-3. That is the statute for private citizen's arrest. And it states that any person may arrest another when he or she has reasonable grounds to believe that an offense other than the ordinance violation is being committed. And let me put it on the screen so you don't say, nah, Mike, you lying. Oh, no, I'm not lying. Go ahead, throw that right on here. I teach this for a living. Yes, sir. Here we go. Call the criminal procedure. Scroll yourself on down there. See, the law got to be difficult. Why you just can't give me exactly what I'm asking for? Do, 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 do. Okay, that's good to look at, but I'm not, I gotta get back to that statute. It just can't never give you what you asked for. Thank you. You said when I happen to serve and protect, that is a slogan that gets you to buy in 
to calling the police. I'm telling y'all, y'all better understand the law. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. Here we go. Section uh, 725 ILCS 5-107-3, any person may arrest another <clears throat> when he or she, I added the she, has reasonable grounds to believe that an offense other than an ordinance violation is being committed. So you have the power to make your own arrest. You never needed me. Get to work. And I'll just observe and report that you did so. And that's that. But what about you doing your job? I am doing my job. I'm here. You're not going to ask me to just put my family and my life on the line to help you solve your own problems when collectively we can do it as a team. You first. You first. That's why I'm glad I'm not the police no more. I'd rather them complain that I stood there and didn't do nothing than to say that I did too much. And that is the risk Right. You said, nope, I mind the business that pays me. Outstanding. You're right. Right. That is the risk that you take. Especially now. And attorney Drew isn't even talking about that. You talk about a trespassing law. Well, the police still have the right to be able to remove you. No, they don't. And then the Democrats said, yes, they do. Yes, they do have the right to still remove you. They're just not going to. Why? When you do it yourself. So when I take matters into my own hands, yeah, we'll just deal with that case when it happens. We'll just deal with that case when it happens. It's a shame that it has to come to that, but. Citation, and go about the business. That's gonna cause some dangerous situations for everyone. The last thing that I am very concerned about- We're almost the done. Safety Act is the implementation of two different boards. And these boards are a little unusual. Um, one is the Law Enforcement Training Standards Board. Uh, and that is a committee of people who are supposed to set up the standards for law enforcement. On its face, you think, hey, that might be a good idea. Let's have some uniform standards for law enforcement, how they're supposed to act, what they're supposed to do, implementation of discipline. But let's look at it. It's an 18-member board, 12 of them appointed by the governor of the state of Illinois. Another six set out by statute of who they have to be. The other board that has been implemented is. Are you sure you're licensed to practice law? You cannot be serious in thinking that the Illinois Law Enforcement Training and Standards Board is a new board. Do you know how long the Illinois Law Enforcement Training and Standards Board has been in existence? They were around when I was a police officer. In fact, every officer who is certified in the state of Illinois has been certified by the board. How long have you been an attorney? That's troubling. That is, oh, 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 this is this is a new thing on its face. Yeah, let's establish standards by which you know the uh, the uh, 
this board, you know, you know, 18 members, you know, these chosen by the governor and the other one chosen by staff. There's always been a board. There's always been a board. That right there is where you lost credibility with me. Not that, not that, not that this even matter. Who am I? I'm nobody, right? You know, there's always been a board, dude. Go to it, ILETSB.gov, I believe, or .illinois.gov. Illinois Law Enforcement Training and Standards Board. This is sad. This is very sad. Very sad. Yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. Well, here we go. We are at ptb.illinois.gov. ptb.illinois.gov. The Illinois Law Enforcement and Training and Standards Board uh, is the state agency mandated to promote and maintain a high level of professional standards for law enforcement and corrections officers. Blah, 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 blah. All that great stuff. It's been around for quite some time. Quite some time. Let me get to the statute. You got board members. You got those board members where the chairman of the board is Mitchell R. Davis III as chief of Hazelcrest Police Department. You got Sean Smoot, who's the director of the Police Benevolent and Protective Association in Springfield, right? John Eidelberg, Tim Gleason. You got the city manager, uh, Tim Nugent out of Mantino. Uh, Mayor Price out of El Paso, Sheriff Watson out of St. Clair County, and then you've got the statutory board members. Matter of fact, let me share this screen because people need to know these things. It's not hard to do. It's not hard to do research. It's, I can't believe he even said that. I can't believe he even said that. It's not hard to do a little research. There it is. You've got the chairman of the board, right? Mitch Davis out of Hazelcrest, vice chairman, the appointed members. These are the members appointed by the governor. Lake County Sheriff, city manager of Bloomington, Highland Park, and it's not specific to those cities. Those are just the ones who are appointed. These are the members who are members by statute, right? Superintendent Brown of the Chicago Police Department, given that it's the largest department the third largest department in the nation, first largest department in the uh, in the uh, state, okay, in Chicago. It's Chicago. Clerk of the Circuit Court of Cook County, largest county uh, clerk's office, right? Sheriff Dart, Cook County Sheriff, Department of Corrections, Illinois Department of Corrections, right? Uh, Illinois State Police, uh, Director Kelly, and then the Attorney General of the United States, you know, and then these are the committee assignments and things of that nature, right? I'm just saying, <clears throat> it's not it's not hard to do research. So it's not a new board. The board has been around for quite some time and you even have Keith Calloway, who's the executive director. So it's, it's not hard, all right? Um, there are other things of the Safety Act where there are issues in it, but I'm not gonna take any more of your time. We'll come back and talk about it. I'm sure there'll be more hearings and not even public hearings, but more discussions on the safety act. 
just make sure you keep yourself abreast of, you know, whatever you need to know and whatever affects your life. Um, and I am glad that you all stuck around for this conversation, stuck around for this discussion. Okay. Enjoy your Saturday. Have an outstanding day. And we will talk soon. We will talk soon. Let me turn this volume up. Sorry about that. All right. Yep. Enjoy your Saturday and we will talk soon. What's going on, you? This is Instructor Mike. You can follow me on Facebook at Mike Brown or Instructor Mike. Follow it me on- could be you as a citizen and you walked up and you see somebody. Look heavy. Let on out. Create special. That must be. But it's good to know that this can handle the high pressure rounds of a plenty. Make eye contact with me. He's still trying to get it open a couple of times. So tell.